What's to be done about supply shortages? LTL companies face inflation and labor challenges. And a challenge to California's AB5 labor law receives a supreme snub. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the group editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. From system design and simulation to integrated warehouse automation software and technologies to ASRS shuttles and robotics, Honeywell Intelligrated's end-to-end solutions address the most pressing e-commerce and labor challenges facing our industry. Find out more at sps.honeywell.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, we've all seen product shortages this year, including the well-publicized shortage of baby formula. What is causing these shortages and what can be done to shore up our supply chains? To find out, I spoke with UCLA professor Christopher Tang, who is the UCLA Distinguished Professor and Edward W. Carter Chair in Business Administration, as well as the Faculty Director of UCLA's Center for Global Management. Here is our conversation. Welcome, Chris. It's good to have you with us on Logistics Matters. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We have seen so many shortages in key supply categories this year. And of course, the reasons for the shortages are very complicated. But are there common denominators between the types of products that are in short supply? Well, I think that there are uh, uh, many products we've seen that are uh, short. Well, I think that most of the common products, they are manufactured overseas. So that's why I think that the President Biden is thinking about reshore some of the production back to the United States. We've obviously in the last few years tried to have very lean supply chains. And as you mentioned, a lot of those products are manufactured overseas. So there are some tight time frames when you consider the shipping and when those have delivered. How much do those lean supply chains and the lack of alternative sourcing contribute to our supply chain shortages? Well, I think, first of all, I think that's the lean supply chain play a role because we are looking into the just-in-time inventory management, uh, which works when there's no disruption. But then when you have the COVID, when you have port shutdown, when you have factory shutdown, these kind of disruptions will create these kind of shortages. That's point number one. So now I think companies, they are start thinking about just in case inventory management. Second, yes, before the, uh, the COVID, I think many companies, they uh, sole source to uh, China because it's cheaper and also China can produce large scale and also they have the capabilities to produce many uh, products. But then, uh, due to the trade war starting in 2018, there's friction between U.S. and China and makes uh, this kind of global supply chain a little bit more complicated. And then, as a result, companies are trying to find alternative uh, sourcing countries such as Vietnam. But it takes time to set up a new and reliable supply partner as well. So therefore, I think that right now we just get caught in this kind of transition period. You had mentioned that a lot of this was due to the sourcing from faraway places uh, 
from China and Vietnam and some of those countries. But one of the biggest shortages we saw this, this summer has been with baby formula, and that was actually from a domestic source. And really, the news reports show that one plant primarily was to blame. Was that really the cause? Now, we have two separate issues here. The meal formula, it is a domestic uh, supply chain issues, but it's not that much about supply chain, but it's really about the supply issues. So in this particular case, the meal formula was triggered by the Abbott Laboratories plants in Michigan because they had quality control issues uh, that was known in 2019 with uh, bacteria uh, contamination. But yet, I think the true cause is not supply chain. I think the true cause is because the plants in Michigan, they did not really take corrective action right away. And also FDA was late in doing the inspection because of COVID. So they postponed the inspection until 2022 in February. That causes the really the stop production for since February until April, uh, until now, until June. So now I think that they stopped the production for uh, over four months that it created the shortage in this country. So are our supply chains really that vulnerable in a sense that one plant can close off an entire commodity and create a shortage in just one product line? Aren't, aren't there others manufacturing that kind of product or is it just that complicated? Uh, for the meal formula situation is complicated. It's not about the number of plants. Actually, in the US, we have four manufacturers to producing meal formulas. And also they had multiple plants. So one plant shut down, it should not affect this kind of chaos. But the problem is that is uh, the WIC program, they stand for Women, Infants and Children form, uh, uh, program, that stipulates uh, a lot of state uh, to actually source from a single brand. So therefore, when a single brand like uh, Abbott's uh, formula was uh, not available, uh, the WIC program for that state may not support the meal formula that is produced by other manufacturers. That's point number one. Point number two is that is milk formula is a stable product. The demand is very stable and there's really no excessive capacity because there's no need to, put, uh, to have a, uh, extra capacity because the demand is never there. So therefore, even when one plant shut down, the other plants, they do not have excessive capacity to make up the shortfall. That is a problem. What can we do about this? Is it, is it just a matter of better management within the plants themselves? Should we be looking at expanding our supply chains and, and finding other sources for these kinds of products? Well, for meal formula, actually, there is an easy solution. First, I think that we need to make sure uh, these four uh, manufacturers, they are doing the due diligence, they do uh, preventive maintenance, they do have a uh, risk mitigation uh, contingency plan in case they have bacteria contamination issues, so they can actually uh, can, uh, can uh, shift the production of the plant, point number one. Point number two is that FDA also need to improve their efficiency. They need to uh, follow up with inspections when there are some issues pop up in some plant, and then they can actually force the companies to uh, to do the shutdown or recall uh, immediately, such that they can actually have uh, the, to protect uh, the consumers and the infants. Third, FDA should consider pre-approved some of the international 
brands that produce in Europe or Australia in advance. So in the case, when this kind of situation occur, they can actually immediately can ask uh, foreign suppliers to ship the milk formula to the United States. So that can be done. So this is really about uh, scenario planning. This is really about risk mitigation strategies they need to put in place. That all makes sense, especially for that kind of a commodity. But there are other commodities in short supply. And you've talked about preventative maintenance and a lot of these other kinds of issues right now. We're entering a time where we're in an uncertain economy and it's very difficult to find workers. How can our supply chains assure that that kind of maintenance in our factories is being done properly to assure a continuous supply of materials and goods uh, when it might be difficult to be able to do that preventive maintenance because of staffing and uh, financial reasons? You raise a very good question. Uh, this is a very tricky period of time because during the COVID pandemic, most companies, they're struggling. One, they're struggling just the production to make supply meet demand. That's point number one. Second, uh, well, we are facing a potential recession uh, and uh, cost of doing business is very high. So companies also try to be lean in terms of the operations to keep the cost down. When you're facing this kind of situation, very few companies will actually take the time to think about risk mitigation in terms of uh, factory safety in terms of building safety this is not on the radar screen so therefore i think this podcast is very useful to alert companies that even during the this challenging period of time we should not lose sight about what is fundamental what is fundamental is safety employee safety product safety and quality without that these companies will not survive so I think that instead of just fighting the short-term fire, they should not lose sight about the long-term survival. Should the government be doing more to help ensure some of our supply chains in some of these critical areas by either directing companies to do certain kinds of things, maybe better communication with the public when there are impending supply chain issues? Yes, absolutely. I think that right now, the government is beginning to realize that we don't have supply chain transparency. Uh, if you think about the situation like uh, the milk formula, President Biden did not know uh, that there is a, such a severe shortage until recently because it, he and the White House did not know. Now, this is not uncommon. Actually, during the COVID, many companies, they realize that they don't even know who is producing the products, the supply chain configurations. Therefore, when they have the shortages, then they begin to realize that they try to trace it back exactly who is producing the product. Now, I think it's a time for all the companies and even for the governments to work together. How can we map out the supply chain configurations such that we have supply chain transparency? Once with that, then we can actually communicate that to the consumers such that consumers are aware of where the products are coming from, and also if there is any shortages, any disruptions, they can be alerted right away, such that the public, the companies, and the government can make alternative uh, plans in case of disruptions. Are there any things, any practical steps that companies can take to better uh, ensure their sourcing and also improve their supply chains? You talked about transparency. Uh, are there other steps that they should be taking? Well, I think that the global supply chains uh, have grown 
and it's becoming overly complex. So I think the pendulum has swung too far. Now I think it's a moment in time for companies to rethink how can we shorten and simplify the supply chain configurations. So for example, uh, I think companies in the US should consider maybe taking advantage of the USMCA free trade agreement to relocate some of the manufacturing operations either domestically or in Mexico, such that a shorter supply chain, they have a better communication, better visibility. So in the case, they will be less prone to this kind of disruption. Of course, doing that may add to costs, which was part of the problem that we're having with inflation right now. How do you see that as a business strategy? Yes, right now there's a, a severe inflation. Uh, we are aware of that. But on that hand, for the long-term uh, survival and also long-term resilience of supply chain, I do not see a, a simple solution. And also bear in mind, the cost of doing business in China is not low. So that's why even China is actually shifting the production to Vietnam, to Bangladesh, to Myanmar. But I think that that is also the future trend. But I think that these kind of companies should also consider to divide, uh, diversify their supply chain configurations then so that they don't need to put all the eggs in one basket. They can diversify their suppliers uh, not just from China, could be to Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, Mexico. So in that case, uh, they can have more diver uh, diverse supply base that would actually reduce uh, the risk. Now, yes, there is cost uh, factor we should consider. But on the other hand, there is also risk. If you want to low risk, you need to pay a higher cost. This is just like uh, you want to buy the insurance to reduce risk, you have to pay the premium. If you don't pay by the insurance, you, uh, uh, you are incurring bigger risk. So I think that this is uh, uh, the time the company to need to evaluate how do you balance the risk, the disruption, and also the cost. If you don't do the discount balance, you may actually end up uh, not having the product to sell to begin with. We've been talking to Christopher Tang. He is the UCLA Distinguished Professor and Edward W. Carter Chair in Business Administration. He's also the Faculty Director of the UCLA Center for Global Management. Thank you, Chris, for spending some time with us today. My pleasure. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Victoria, you were at a conference in San Diego this week where less than truckload business leaders discussed some of their major concerns for the remainder of the year. What more can you tell us? Yes, I was at the SMC3 Connections Conference, as you say, in San Diego this week, and, and that's an event that draws executives from uh, less than truckload or the LTL market, including shippers, carriers, third-party logistics services providers, and technology companies, uh, you name it, some really top-level executives at that meeting. Um, inflation and higher fuel prices were a common theme, as you may expect, um, and many executives were taking the opportunity there to weigh in on the Biden administration's proposal to suspend the federal gas tax for three months as a way to sort of ease pain at the pump. That initiative was announced last week, of course, um, and it's been met with skepticism throughout the industry, as well as in the broader business community, and also, interestingly, among politicians on both sides of the aisle. Um, but nevertheless, it was a good opportunity to bring it up and talk about it. And in a nutshell, uh, there seems to be agreement in LTL that such a move would be, um, as many said, more for show than anything else, um, many describing it as a Band-Aid approach or gimmick. 
that would do little to ease inflation problems and may actually hurt recent efforts to improve infrastructure. As our listeners probably know, the federal gas tax helps support something called the Highway Safety Trust, which is where much of the funding for the recently passed um, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act comes from. There's concern that taking a large amount of money away from that fund may delay or otherwise negatively affect some of the much needed infrastructure improvements scheduled across the country. Um, estimates from the White House show that the proposal could cost about $10 billion. Um, it doesn't seem like this initiative is going anywhere, though. Um, in my opinion, as I said, there's skepticism on both sides of the political aisle, and not much has been said or done about it in Washington since the president uh, made the request. So we'll see where it, where it goes, but um, the bottom line really is that business leaders seem to be more focused on settling in and dealing with the higher prices uh, that we're seeing. Uh, one executive at the meeting even said that, you know, prices and inflation, you know, are here and companies, you know, just need to, to deal with it uh, as best they can. Yeah, that's interesting. Aside from inflation, what are some of the other big issues that came up during your meetings? Labor challenges uh, were a big one. Um, the LTL industry has been dealing with the need to attract more truck drivers for many years, um, and that problem persists, as we've uh, talked about on the podcast in the past. But on, uh, on top of recruiting and training initiatives, there's also the issue of wage and salary inflation, which most business leaders I spoke to said is real and is costing them you know, a lot compared to the past. Um, but executives in attendance also said those challenges go beyond um, drivers. Companies need workers in the warehouse, the back office, and corporate environments as well. And as a result, many of them are uh, really investing in efforts to attract and keep good talent. Uh, one uh, one leader from a, a carrier on a panel that I listened to, you know, said these in industries actually had to play a lot of catch up um, in those areas recently in terms of hiring uh, and retaining talent, uh, mainly because of the huge spike um, in demand that we saw over the past two years and in 2021 in particular. Um, the other thing uh, was the economy, economic outlook in general, especially the prospect of a looming recession. The conference featured a global and U.S. economic outlook, and the consensus there was that a recession is not on the horizon. Rather, you know, what's more likely is a um, continued sort of deceleration of the historic growth the industry has seen, especially uh, in 2021. Uh, so a cooling off, but not a recession, at least in the next year. Economists uh, and business leaders alike said that most of the drivers of freight demand remain strong, and that includes things like construction activity, corporate investing, manufacturing, and even consumer spending. There are headwinds, uh, including inflationary pressures that are beginning to affect consumer spending in some areas, along with higher fuel prices, as we, as we talked about already. But for the most part, uh, freight industry professionals said that e-commerce demands, which have been a huge driver for business, as we know, will continue uh, to fuel the need for smaller, faster moving shipments, which of course is the LTL market. So in essence, what I took away is that business will, mean, will remain strong, but companies will have to find ways to deal with the many macroeconomic and especially labor challenges that are going to persist. Right. And a lot of those challenges will be significant and not easy to solve. True. Very true. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, you've written in the past about the controversial California labor law known as AB5. And there was an important development on this that could affect trucking nationwide. What can you tell us? Yeah, exactly. Uh, June is usually a busy month for people to hear about the latest Supreme Court decisions. Uh, that's been true this year as well. It's been all over the papers and 
the one that happened uh, this week had to do with uh, what's known as California Assembly Bill 5. That's what the AB 5 is. Um, that was a law that was passed in 2019, a few years ago, by the California State Legislature. And it was designed to make sure that most companies classify their drivers as full employees instead of independent contractors. Uh, it was created specifically about Uber and Lyft type of deliveries, but uh, would also affect uh, truck fleets and semi-trailers. That law was immediately appealed, uh, as we said, back in 2019 by the California Trucking Association. They're a fleet owners industry group who said that it would force its member companies to raise freight prices and it would squeeze capacity out of the market. So AB5 has been frozen under the order of a lower court ever since then. But what happened this week is the Supreme Court refused to hear California Trucking Association's appeal. So uh, that kicks the case back to the lower court decision, which had approved it. So long story short, now AB5 will become law. Uh, labor organizations such as the Teamsters have long supported this type of legislation, uh, saying it'll provide important benefits to their employees, such as covering them under labor laws and minimum wage guarantees and that kind of thing. How is the trucking industry reacting to all of this? Well, uh, not a lot so far. Uh, the Supreme Court decision just came down yesterday, uh, so trucking employers are still processing it. Uh, but I did hear some interesting details from Benesh Law. That's a Cleveland, Ohio-based transportation law firm. And they said that the decision was, quote, deeply disappointing loss to the transportation industry and supply chain interests throughout the country. So those are pretty strong words, uh, but Benish said that the ruling comes at a time, as we all know, when transportation resources and supply chains are already pretty stressed. So motor carriers, transportation intermediaries, and commercial shippers, it looks like they're all gonna have to now adapt to the new landscape in California. Uh, an attorney with the firm, Mark Bluebaugh, said that motor carriers are going to have to evaluate and uh, adopt alternative operating models to mitigate the risk if they continue to want to do business in California. Uh, he listed some ways in which they might evolve uh, so they could pivot to an employee driver model, of course. Uh, they could try to comply with a business-to-business -business exemption under the law. They could deploy a freight brokerage model. They could um, have a different method of compensation. Um, there, there are a lot of different sort of business ideas that the uh, industry is right now uh, sort of very busy checking out. And Benish also pointed out that this court decision could have even larger implications if other states proceed with what's called uh, copycat legislation. Uh, we've often seen that with state regs in some of the bigger states, California particularly, um, Texas, New York. So, you know, this could be an issue that would be covering nationwide uh, for some time as fleets scramble to comply. Yeah, you're right. We often do see that what happens in California affects the rest of the nation and many states adopt similar laws. So something we'll continue to follow. We sure will. Thanks, Ben. Glad to. We encourage listeners to go to DCVelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Chris Tang of UCLA for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. 
And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our new sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fastlane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. We have a new series of programs that launched just earlier this week on supply chain digitization. So subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fastlane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. Be sure to check out the Honeywell Intelligrated on the Move podcast at Apple, Spotify, or Google. All episodes of their podcast series are also posted at sps.honeywell.com slash onthemovepodcasts. You'll also find Honeywell Intelligrated on LinkedIn and Twitter using the hashtag at Intelligrated. We're going to be taking a holiday vacation break next week, but we'll be back again in two weeks on July 15th with a new program, so be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.